So what if we actually uh, were persecuted because we followed Jesus? What if um, at home, the next knock on the door is someone coming to question you about this Jesus that you follow? What if there were to be somebody come in through these doors in the back of this room? If we could actually be persecuted because of our faith, how, how would that be? You know, there are people around the world that are persecuted. There are people around the world that are, are killed because of the faith that they have. Now, we don't really have to worry about that so much in this country. But what if? The Apostle John, near the end of the first century, was uh, sent to a, a small island called Patmos off the coast of what we know as present-day Turkey. And he was sent there, and it was not a vacation. Most of the people that lived there were convicts. And he was sent there because he talked too much about Jesus. What if we actually were persecuted because we follow Jesus? Would there be more people in here on a Sunday morning? Would there be more people watching at home? And would those that are here that are not here, would they be watching at home? John, while he was on the island of Patmos, was visited by Jesus. Now, he had seen Jesus 60 or so years ago, and he had been one of the 12 apostles and working with Jesus for three years during Jesus' ministry. But he hadn't seen him in all that time. Jesus had died and come back to life and then went into heaven. And so Jesus paid John a visit while John was on the island of Patmos. And Jesus wanted John to write what he was going to tell him. And what he wrote is what we know as the book of Revelation, the last book in the Bible, 22 chapters. And when John saw Jesus, Jesus was different. And Jesus was otherworldly looking. Jesus was frightening. And when John saw Jesus, this is what he said, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Now, if you want to get a picture of what Jesus looked like, you can read in Revelation chapter 1, and it's strange, and we've seen nothing like it, and you can look at artists' representations of what they see, and, and those are all over the place. But Jesus gave to John the revelation, and then there were seven churches that he wanted John to write letters to and get these messages to these seven churches. And we're looking today at church number two, the church in Smyrna. 
I believe that what Jesus said to these different churches, to these different Christians there, are applicable for us today. Now, not everything, but I think there are many things that are important for us that we can learn from today, the church, the Christians in Smyrna. And what I want to challenge you is that if God speaks to your heart, if he speaks to your brain, if God communicates to you this morning something that he wants you to do, even before you know it, are you willing to tell him, God, I trust you enough that when I hear your word this morning, that I will, even before I know what it is, I will go ahead and do what you tell me. So if you would go ahead and bow your head and close your eyes, and if if God communicates something to you this morning and you're willing to take him at his word, then right now go ahead and tell him you trust him. And even though you may not like it, but if you know it's from him, you will go ahead and do what he wants you to do. Will you tell him that? So God, uh, tell us what you want each of us to know, and we will do what you tell us. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you would turn to Revelation chapter 2, we'll be looking at verses 8 through 11. Revelation 2, 8 through 11, the verses will appear on the screen, but we will come back and refer to them. I will read. I'm going to make some observations, three to be exact, and we're going to read the, these four verses first. Revelation 2, 8 through 11. To the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, these are the words of him who was the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, this is Jesus speaking, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put someone, some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one, meaning the Christians, the one who is victorious, will not be hurt at all by the second death, which would be hell. Jesus' description of himself to the Christians in the church in Smyrna is this. These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. Let's say you're watching a three hours old recording of your favorite basketball team. You've recorded it and you're sitting down to watch. And as you watch your team play, they are playing as if they are a bunch of middle schoolers who really don't know much about basketball. 
And so typically what you would do when you're watching them, you would yell at the TV, you might even throw something soft at the TV, you might be so aggravated you spill your beverage or mess up your popcorn or something, I don't know, but you don't like what's going on. And normally you'd be super frustrated with what's going on. But this time, as you were looking at your phone right before the game began, you saw inadvertently that your team won the game on a last second shot. So now, as you're watching your stupid team play badly, it really doesn't bother you. You know, they're playing poorly. But because you know you win, you can endure what you see them playing poorly on the screen. The guarantee of the victory of your team makes putting up with this garbage that you see them do something you can handle. And it really doesn't bother you. Could Jesus be saying to the Christians in Smyrna when he talks about he's the first and the last, he's the one who died and came back to life again, could he be telling these Christians that it's okay because we're on the same team? I want you to know that we win. I died and came back to life. And because you are with me, the victory that I have is also your victory. And I think he's saying that to them because of this. He goes on to say, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. So I want to tell us observation number one. The first and the last, Jesus knows you and your situation. Jesus knows. The stuff that's going on in your life, he knows, he understands, and he can relate. Okay, let's turn to the book of Hebrews. If you're in Revelation, you're going to turn to your left. Hebrews, James, First and Second Peter, First and Second, Third John, Jude, and Revelation. If you're like Les and Marsh in the front row, then you're just going to cheat and go find where it says because they got their phones. <laughs> but if you got your book, you turn to your left. Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to start with verse 14. Now, every, every, all these scriptures are going to come on the screen. That's true. But when I go back and say something, there are some of you that are interested that you're going to want to go back to the verse itself. And, and when you have your Bible, you can do that. Okay, here we go. Hebrews 2, 14. Since the children, humankind, have flesh and blood, he too, Jesus, shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, 
but Abraham's descendants. Those are people. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way. Now, why? Why did Jesus have to be made like us, fully human in every way? He did that in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Very quickly, focusing on three things. Focus number one on the high priest. The people that the writer of Hebrews wrote to were Jews who had become Christians. And they understood the significance of the high priest. If you didn't have a high priest in the Jewish system of the way things were working, you were not going to get your sins forgiven because the high priest was essential. The Christians who found out that Jesus was going to be their high priest are going, great deal. Jesus is our high priest. Second focus. What did Jesus' atonement do? Jesus' atonement, play on words, made us at one with God. First five letters in atonement. Jesus, his sacrifice, what he did, made us at one, brought us back together with God. Verse 18. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Focus number three. Jesus was legitimately tempted. If Jesus had used any of his God powers, he could not have been the right sacrifice. If Jesus had cheated and used anything like that, in resisting temptation, it would not have worked at all. Now, Jesus did miracles, but doing a miracle, that was his God part. And as he was doing the miracles, that's okay. But when he was tempted, he resisted every temptation as a human being. He didn't cheat and use any God power to resist his temptations. Verse 14, Jesus shared our humanity, and he was fully human, verse 16, in every way. Turn two chapters over to Hebrews chapter 4, also verse 14. Hebrews 4, verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. And because Jesus resisted temptation every time, and because he resisted temptation simply as a man, then he was qualified to be the perfect sacrifice 
to relate to us and to be the perfect sacrifice sinless so that he could be offered on the cross for us. So, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus knows he can relate. Even if no one else knows, Jesus does. Revelation 2.9 I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you're rich. Now, as Jesus is telling the Christians in Smyrna and us, is he telling us to shift our focus away from the things that they see, the afflictions of poverty? I think so. I think he is. To shift them, to shift our focus toward the riches that we have in him. Is it easy when stuff is going on in our life? When things aren't working out like we want, is it easy to shift our focus from the garbage that's in our life to focus on the blessings that we have in Jesus? It is not. It is difficult to do. But would we be told in Scripture that we should do this if we could not do this? 2 Corinthians 4.18 So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. This fixing our eyes business is something purposeful that we do. It's something we choose to do. It's something we make ourselves do. It's something we discipline ourselves to do. It's something we have to make up our mind to do it. We're not going to slide into fixing our eyes on Jesus, but we have to choose to do it. We can do it. Otherwise, where are we told to do it? Hebrews 3, verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. Fixing our thoughts. It's there because we can do it, but will we do it? Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. And let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, what was the joy that Jesus himself focused on to get his eyes and his mind away from the things that were troubling him. The joy that he was thinking of that got him through the bad times, particularly the, the, the cross, 
was he was knowing that what he was doing was going to purchase our forgiveness. The joy that Jesus had in knowing what he was doing was going to make forgiveness possible for everybody that is going to walk the planet. That's what Jesus focused on so that he would remain true to God. We're told, consider him, another focusing of our eyes and our heart. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Was Jesus eager to go to the cross? He was not. In fact, he asked God if there was some other way that we can do this taking care of sin business because he didn't want to go to the cross. He knew what it entailed. He knew the pain that was going to come. And he asked God, can we do it another way? And then he said, but if we can't, then I'll go ahead and do what I need to do anyway. Jesus was willing to do what God wanted. He was committed to obey God. How committed are you and I? How committed are you and I to obey God? Revelation 2.9. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. You think if Jesus knew the situation of the Christians in Smyrna, that he doesn't know what's going on with you? You, you, th you think he doesn't know? Jesus knew. Observation number one, Jesus knows. Observation number two, be prepared. Revelation 2.10. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. What have we suffered? because of her faith in Jesus. I looked up suffer and persecution and trials in a, um, a word search, and there are over a hundred times that suffer, persecution, persecute, whatever, trial, uh, came up and it spoke about Jesus or Christians experiencing suffer, suffering, persecution, and trials because they followed God. Are you ready to suffer because of your relationship with Jesus? Are you ready to suffer because of your relationship with Jesus and, as this verse says, to not be afraid? Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. What else does Jesus say? He says, be faithful, even to the point of death. Revelation 2, the last part of verse 10. Are you ready to die? Because of your relationship with Jesus. John 16, when Jesus was walking the earth, talking to his disciples and to us, he said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. 
Observation number two, be prepared. Observation number three, Jesus will reward. Revelation 2.10. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Now, will the persecution last only 10 days? Well, I guess Jesus could have been saying to the Christians in Smyrna that some of them will be persecuted and your persecution will last 10 days. I can promise you in Scripture and in history and in recent history, we know that there are Christians who would be excited if their persecution only lasted 10 days. I think what Jesus is telling the Christians in Smyrna and us is that suffering is temporary. If you and I were to live to be 100 and we were persecuted 85 of those 100 years, I think that on the other side, when we die and when we get to heaven, we will look back and realize that those 85 years of suffering were nothing. We ain't there. And stuff we go through now, we don't like. That's why we need to focus on the things that are not seen because those things will last forever and knowing those things are what gets us through. So all of this stuff is tough. It is difficult. So to be pleasing to God, do we have to be perfect? We do not. The fact of the matter is we cannot be perfect. If we could be perfect, Jesus wouldn't have died. There would have been no reason for him to die if we could be perfect. If we can't be perfect, then what does God want from us? God expects for us to be faithful. Probably not a one person in this room, probably no one watching at home. We don't need anybody, we don't want anybody to tell us. We don't need anybody to tell us whether we're faithful or not. Our imperfections are clear to us. But when you and I are faithful, with us we get life as the victor's crown. Is it possible that sometimes we have trouble being faithful because we set our eyes on things that are earthly rather than heavenly? Perhaps. Is it times, is it, is it, possible that at times we have trouble being faithful because we don't comprehend the benefits of heaven compared to what we think are the benefits of earth. I think that's possible. Revelation 2.11 Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be heard at all by the second death. Three-part summary. Number one, Jesus knows what you're going through. He knows. 
He knows. Secondly, he expects us, whatever we go through, to be prepared for tough times, even persecution, even to the point of dying for him. And number three, when we are faithful, even to the point of death, if that needs to be, Jesus will most assuredly reward us, not because we're perfect, but because we're faithful and because of what Jesus has done for us. Jesus paid the price for you. He paid the price for me. Will we be faithful to him? And whatever it is, will we pay the price for him? Would you bow your heads, please? Afflictions, poverty, and persecutions. Whether we have to go through situations like these or not, are you willing? Are you willing if it needs to be that you are afflicted, have trouble, you have to be impoverished, or you have to be... Are you willing to do those? If you are, and you can add in on this to God, I don't want to, but if you are willing, then tell Him you're willing. Tell Him you don't want to, but tell him you're willing. If there's an area where you're struggling to be faithful, then if you are a follower of Jesus, if you tell him that and you confess that area of sin and where you've been unfaithful, then his word tells us as Christians when we confess, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Simply because as followers of Jesus, if we ask, He forgives. Now, if you're not a follower, and this forgiveness business is something that you really would like, then if you're in this room, when church is over, and even though other people may be standing around talking, if you stay seated, we have decision guides in this room who will come and meet you where you are. And they will share with you how easy it is to become a Christian and the benefits, and they'll challenge you about walking with Jesus daily. If you want to pray about something, and you want someone to pray with you, if you stay seated, if you have questions, the decision guides will come to you after church is over where you stay seated. If you're home and you want to know about becoming a Christian or you want to talk about something, if you will get in touch with us by the information you see on the screen, then we will get in touch with you no later than tomorrow. Father, thank you for Jesus being faithful to us. We're weak, and God, sometimes we're not. We're not faithful. We want to be. Take us and mold us. 
we will do what you ask. May we be living examples to our friends and family for you. May people see Jesus in us. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.